and we recording are in progress recording with mr jeff nyquist and as i have to remind people if you guys if you want to support the podcast there's a little red button next to my name on rumbles click on it you can donate like five bucks a month or just watch video game streams or whatever and per the video prior to this i'm very open about everything I had the worst panic attack of my life on Friday and up in the hospital and then slept for about 24 hours. And Jeff texted me, did you hear about the UFO mothership that the Pentagon spotted? And as much as I wanted to lay in bed today, I just thought like, this is a sign from like the good Lord above. Like, Hey, (laughs) God is just offering me a softball down the center. Here's here's a podcast to get started. Tommy UFO mothership spotted by the Pentagon. So Thank you, God. Thank you to the big man upstairs. And uh, Mr. Nyquist, his website, his Twitter, and all of his books are in the description. Please go follow him. Jeff, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing pretty good. I'm going to mail you my notes for this, which I, I made extensive notes from a from a particular book. But um, the, the headline, of course, was a Pentagon UFO chief says alien mothership is in our solar system, right? Um, but then the story, what he actually said is not exactly that, but it, the story is a little more complicated than that. Uh, the headline is misleading in that the UFO, this is what he said, actually he said an artificial interstellar object could potentially be a parent craft that releases many small probes during its close passage to earth an operational construct, not too dissimilar from, you know, NASA missions. And uh, the, the guy's name is Sean Kirkpatrick. He's the director of the Pentagon's all domain anomaly research office, the AARO. <laughs> You're going to hear more about the AARO, I think in the future, but this quote was taken from a paper that he co-authored with Abraham Loeb, who is the chairman of the uh, Harvard University Astronomy Department. And Loeb was famous for uh, actually in October 2017 suggesting that um, we had possibly a, a spaceship, a very large ship from another solar system because they had tracked the University of Hawaii had spotted an object moving at speeds greater than objects normally move in the solar system. It was It was too fast to have originated here. So it came from outside the solar system, was moving very fast. In fact, they gave it the they gave this object the name, Oumuamua. which was the Hawaiian name for scout. Yeah. You, you, can you say? Oh, oh um Oumuamua, I think. Oumuamua. It means scout in Hawaiian. Yeah. Yeah. And um yeah, that's good that you could pronounce that because I looked at that and said, How do you say yeah. that Polynesian M- word? <laughs> Mumu, Amuamua. Um so so that's where this is kind of an offshoot of that. And of course, uh, you don't hear that much anymore about the uh, the all domain anomaly research office at the uh, Pentagon. So, but that office was established because you know UFOs or uh, um, UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomena, unidentified flying objects, have been seen for years around our military bases particularly around nuclear facilities, and it, it's become a concern. And they want to be able to track these objects, and they want to understand what they are, why they're so interested in our nu- nuclear stockpiles, nuclear weapons. There's been some famous incidents where you know nuclear missiles were actually put offline in our ICBM silos by these UFOs that came by. This was many years ago. I think it was in the 60s. Um, so these these events and these events have been documented 
And of course, people have tried to find explanations for the events. But uh, of course, that's the big debate. What is going on with these things? And so I thought I would just kind of do an overview of a couple of things that have cropped up recently that are disturbing. Uh, there's been increased interest in the government for the first time, you know, publishing footage of, you know, camera footage of uh, uh, Nimitz fighters chasing these objects. Um, I want to talk about, uh, we, we all have probably heard about the alien abduction phenomena. Whitley Strieber, he wrote the book, uh, books on it. And and the one thing, you know, I, I went through all these books because I realized that they connect with my subject, which is a the problem of a future nuclear war, the problem of communism and totalitarianism, the problem that human humanity is, um, you could say, uh, a troubled species, a troubled, uh, a troubled group of people here on the earth. Uh, we we haven't we haven't had a very good history, and we're we're not always very good. Uh, history is full of really dark things, and so what does it all mean? And of course, we have our spiritual and religious uh, um, teachings that have been handed down to us, which are very, actually, quite hard to understand, actually. And, um, <clears throat> but the thing about uh, Carla Turner died of cancer in the late 90s, I think it was. She was uh, perhaps one of the most brilliant. She was a historian and her she and her family got abducted, had the abduction experience, whatever you want to call it, UFOs, you know, missing time, weird experiences, uh, nightmares, like they have PTSD, very serious PTSD, not knowing what this is. Whitley Strieber went through the same thing, wrote about it, even invited a journalist to follow him around and look at his medical tests. Because Strieber thought he had a, a brain tumor at first, that he was suffering hallucinations from a brain tumor. So he had, a, he had his brain scanned. Um, a lot of people have had these experiences. And um, if you go to psychiatry or uh, certain people who study these things, they say there's there's two syndromes that they find that are similar. One are people who believe they've been abducted by aliens, and the other is people who believe that they have been in a, in, in a um, Illuminati or Satanic cult. And th there are similar questions about have they left reality? Are the events they describe literally real? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there was an interesting Carla Turner was a very innovative person, and she died of cancer tragically. But she had she was really getting at it. She was trying to put cameras in the bedrooms of abductees to see what you would see. She was trying to um, to she was she did her last book she did was was this guy who was, he had psychic, uh, he was psychically talented. And he had this bizarre history of interactions with the beings that people see when they're abducted. But uh, he didn't exactly have, well, did he, didn't exactly have an abduction experience, but he had interactions with these beings, including a reptilian that would come to him in his dreams and would manifest in his, in his room. Very strange, uh, because and and it it really it revolved down to oh no I'm sorry he had an abduction experience when he was a kid and that's where a lot of it started, and the book is the the book that Turner did on this is extremely disturbing because what it boils down to is it's it 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 is like 
sexual molestation. It really is. Uh, and it involved this young man being anally raped in this experience. In this, was it a dream? Was it real? And and um, and this is, and then this this reptilian who was haunting him his whole life, which is almost like this being is almost like not physically real, is almost like he's a spirit or a demon or something, saying, "I own you. You belong to me or us or whatever." You know, so it it, it there's this demonological element to it. Um, so the, the, the phenomenon is extremely complex. And then you add to that things like the Pentagon making statements and the Russians. Jacques Vallée, who wrote, wrote three, he wrote three, I think, seminal works on his long investigation of UFOs, one of which was subtitled uh, Alien Contact and Human Deception, in which he documented how intelligence services and the military in, uh, you know, see, you know, uh, in France, the United States and the Soviet Union had fabricated UFO incidents, abductions even, uh, contact with aliens, fabricated them. And you think, my gosh, that's that's a, that's crazy. So you you have this element where this is there is an occult like side to it. There is the physical reality of people seeing things and it being tracked on radar. And then you have the government faking things. Uh, it's all perfectly, much of this is perfectly documented. So to, to puzzle it together, but I want to share something that's really disturbing, which shows the complexity of the phenomenon. And it's two cases. One is the case of Terry Lovelace, who was a, I think he was a deputy attorney general of the United States, and he didn't dare write about his experiences until after he was out of his job. But he wrote a book called Incident at Devil's Den, and then a sequel, which I will quote from a little bit here today. And and Lovelace, again, had a childhood abduction experience, which was very disturbing to him. They needed another one when, when he was an adult in 1987. He was born in 1955, so he's, he's, he's a little bit older than me. And then he had, he, he, he was a jogger when he was older, and he, he had this problem in his knee and they x-rayed his knee and they found an object in his knee, but there was no scar tissue showing how it got there. And uh, he began to realize it was connected with his abduction experiences. And he had had an abduction when he was in the military, when he was camping in Devil's Den, where they saw a triangular, triangular vessel and the little gray aliens basically kidnapped him and his friend and they saw other beings. And it was quite terrifying. And the military interrogated them over it him and his buddy who were who had this experience together in devil's den it's in a it's it's what it's in a national park in what is it in arkansas is that where devil's den so. is that sounds familiar i think that's in that's in arkansas but i i'm not i'm blanking out on it i i was so focused on the narrative that i i didn't but a lot of people go missing in this park and 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 part of the things that lovelace does is he shows how many people disappear like in 2017, there was a guy. He had asthma, and he was hiking in a like a like a short hike with a friend, and he he forgot to bring his asthma medicine. His uh, what do they call it? Your uh, inhaler. Inhaler. He forgot his inhaler, and his buddy ran back to get the inhaler. Within a half an hour, he was back, and the guy was gone, and his cell phone was on the ground, and he was gone. They had a big manhunt for the guy. Fifteen hundred people looking for him for days. 
they could never find him. His his family hired trackers and everything to try to find him, and they couldn't find him. But in March of uh, in March of 2019, around two years, maybe less than two years later, hikers saw this bleached skull not far from where this guy disappeared right out in the open and there was his skeleton there was his body but there were no clothes no shoes no clothes so they find the guy they did dna testing on the skeleton and it was him so just i mean just picked clean yeah i mean like the guy's dead i i'm not sure if the whole the skull was picked clean i i, I mean how and and so of course uh, uh, Lovelace goes through these incidents because he's quite you know obviously obsessed with it, but the, the here's the disturbing part: you go through these books and you find certain details that are in other books that nobody notices that are significant. And so here's what's disturbing about Lovelace's book and about the sequel where he goes into it in greater detail. He has had, every time he's been abducted, there's been this female alien. He calls her a hybrid. This is a terminology from the abduction literature. She's half human, half alien, who is with him and calms him. And he has, the, they communicate telepathically, the aliens. And they, and they have incredible intelligence. Strieber describes the same thing uh, in his interactions, that they are extremely powerful intellectually and they, they almost view us as, as insects, kind of. Um, but this 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 uh, this lady, he has he recalls at the end of the book, the, the his first book, that she takes him in a spaceship to the backside of the moon, and there they see a city. It's all built up, and there's people living down on the moon, and there's UFOs there flying and landing and things going on. It's it's like a, a hive. And she tells him that um, her people, her hosts, she calls them, had made a treaty with the U.S. government. This is, again, out of Flying Saucer lore. This has been in a lot of the Flying Saucer books. Has has uh, has a Eisenhower, treaty right? under Eisenhower, right, a yeah. few years before he was born. So this is like... Right out of the the flying saucer literature. Now, yeah, this yeah, this does like the common lawyers that Eisenhower met with right. him at a at a tarmac, and I forget the city, I forget the airbase, but I think it was uh, Edwards Air Force Base. Yeah, uh, Larry, sorry to interrupt. Larry Holcomb's book, The Presidents and UFOs, is a great mm. book, as well as uh, a guy I had on last week, Doctor uh, Doctor uh, William Burns, who wrote uh, UFOs in the White House. They both cover extensively the the whole Eisenhower saga of did, did he meet with them on saucers over some airbase and yeah they basically yeah Timothy Good covers documents two claims that Eisenhower met two different mm -hmm. times one with a group of beings and the other time he just got out of his airplane and hopped in a small saucer. And then hopped out and got back. Well, like there was only a screen in there, supposedly, and according to some source. But what was weird is Timothy Good, when he was writing, I think it was in the 90s, he found a bunch of people who were there who witnessed the this thing. And I think it was an airbase in the south somewhere. I'm forgetting now. It's been a while. But, but the thing about Lovelace seeing this backside of the moon thing 
And and this lady said, look, you, you, you don't want to talk about this because your own government will kill you over it because there's a secret space program. Again, another one of these the UFO yeah. myths, legends, you know, urban legend, whatever it is. There's a secret space program and there's uh, people on the moon now. And then she said, well, the, the Earth has a secret council that rules it that interacts with the aliens, which is a little different than just Eisenhower meeting with them and the U.S. having a treaty. Um, she told him that the uh, that what what it is is that the people who live inside the moon, and the moon, she says, is an artificial construction. Mm -hmm. Again, the book, Somebody Else is in the Moon, this was written in the late 70s. There were two Soviet scientists that had proposed that because I think it was Apollo 12 yeah. dropped a chunk of a launcher on the moon and the moon ran, rang like a bell because they'd left a seismograph, something to read earthquakes and stuff with Apollo 11 was on the equipment. Yeah. So they were able to drop this thing and see what it happened. Yeah. And the moon rang like a bell, like it For was like two days. Right. Like the moon had a metal yeah. shell underneath the earth, underneath the earth pack. It had a metal shell and was hollow. Well, this is what this, this crazy, UFO alien tells him, supposedly tell, tells Terry. Now, this is a deputy attorney general. This isn't just, this is a guy who had a career, had a serious career as a lawyer, went pretty high up in his profession. And you're thinking, oh my God, was he completely insane his whole life? Right? Um, so he, he explains this. Now, now this is, this is a disturbing thing because Ingo Swan, who was one of the remote viewers of the um, of our intelligence remote viewing programs, he's one of the guys that kind of invented remote viewing. He was very talented. They would get they would they figured out these protocols by trying over and over again until they were getting really good results consistently. You know, fairly good results. In remote I, viewing. I emailed with Yuri Geller, I think, last year. Oh, think, did you? Yeah, I couldn't get him to come on, but he said good luck. Yeah. Well, I mean, Geller is Keller is pretty and crazily crazy crazily psychic, and of course, you've probably um read Annie Jacobson's book that focuses Phenomena. on Geller phenomena. Um look, I I I knew the guy that ran the tests, I think it was at Stanford on Geller. I knew the guy that designed the tests. And he told me the craziest story, and I think I've told it to you before on the show, that um, he had this old broken pocket watch from his grandfather that he had opened it up and the spring was broken. And Geller claimed he could fix mechanical objects. He handed it to Geller. Geller held it in his hand, handed it back to him, and it was operating. He ran back to his office, um, and um, his name was Mark. And he opened it up, and the spring was whole, wasn't broken. And it, he was a guy that just designed, you know, scientific experiments. He wasn't a parapsychologist at that time, but he became one. He decided to take that turn because of his experience. And he was embarrassed, he told me, because uh, he was embarrassed because it wasn't a controlled experiment. So he couldn't tell his colleagues. They would just laugh at him. Um but anyway, yeah, Ingo Swan is 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 not as talented, I think, as as Geller. But he wrote this book, um, uh, and and um, and the book is is uh, about 
uh, one of the jobs that he did that they let him do, the, the book is called Penetration. And he was told that he could make $1,000 a day, which back in the 1970s was a lot of money, if he did remote viewing for these this guy whose codename, who's, who he didn't give his real name. His name was Axelrod, right? Yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, Axelrod. That's, that's and he phenomena, had, right? He had two, he had two twins yeah. with him, identical twins who were like his security detail. Yeah, his men in right? black. Yeah. And so, and so they, he wanted him to, to remote view the backside of the moon, the dark side of the moon. And of course, Swan does that. But what he's seeing is buildings and people, human beings. And he's going, oh, no, this is wrong. I'm sorry. You're paying me all this money. And I'm saying what I'm seeing is this wrong. And the, he basically says, well, why do you think it's wrong? And he's going, what do you mean? This is what you're expecting me to see. And of course, these guys end up dragging him around. He ends up, um, inadvertently interacting with someone that they told him was an alien, uh, a woman, sort of similar to the one that Terry Lovelace describes, wearing dark glasses to hide her appearance. And, you know, there's nothing, there's something off about her. Um, he, um, he also was dragged out to some place, remote place in Alaska, where they watched a triangular-shaped UFO, and they wanted him to get a psychic impression from it. But um, and 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 Swan, in fact, got injured uh, in the in the and they got so scared because this thing started shooting like beams into the forest, and they they jumped into a gully, and he hurt himself. But I mean, there's this strange stories that Swan tells. But um, what's interesting is that then Swan, because he he was curious about the moon, he starts doing research on the moon. So a lot of the rest of the book, after describing his experience, so he researches the moon. I mean, th th curious things like, which are weird, like, you know, telescopes that are, you know, big enough to see the moon really close up. You have to have a security clearance to look through those telescopes only certain people, you know, and there's this funny history leading up to the people, astronomers observing the moon and they're going to the moon. And it's like, there is something funny about it. I mean, he shows that. And there's a, there's a funny thing that, that both uh, Swan and uh, Lovelace point out that the, actually Lovelace says the alien told them is that the moon is kind of weird because the moon, the disc of the moon if you look at a solar eclipse or a lunar eclipse, when the moon eclipses the moon, the disk of the moon is exactly the right size to mm -hmm. cover up the sun. Yeah, all those weird synchronicities. Where it's the right, exact... and of course, statistically, that's improbable for that to just be an accident, right? Not, not impossible, but improbable. Improbable, right. I, I, didn't, I hope I didn't say no, impossible. No, 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 you didn't. You didn't. That was, probable, that, that was right. me. That was it's me. improbable. I mean, it's still possible, but it's like at an order of possibility, it's like it's like getting struck by lightning on a clear day kind of improbable. Um, and then it's on the planet that has sentient life that can observe it. And it's only facing one way. <laughs> With the yeah. other side facing away, all that. So it's it's like a continually looking maybe man the, in the moon. Maybe it's the ultimate Goldilocks zone. Like it's not just that we're observing it. Maybe that is like the requirement for sentient life to arrive for whatever reason is a moon, right? This is very very weird. So what's really disturbing is is for me is like okay, this is all has the structure of myth, and it's a it's a myth that our modern conspiracy theory people. <laughs> 
uh, what what the philosopher Eric Verglund would call our not modern day not uh, a version of Gnosticism would would because all of these beliefs of, about reptilians and aliens that really control everything or are living in the moon or guiding human destiny or controlling us or stealing our cattle are well this alien basically said the agreement that Eisenhower this is so creepy this is this is just this is just right out of a horror movie right that the aliens eat our these reptilians they're aggressive and they drink blood mm-hmm. so they they drink cat, our cattle blood but they really our blood is really sweet to them i like to drink human blood yeah. so eisenhower like set a quota like well you can only take this much cattle and this many people yeah and the whole idea is that eisenhower basically looked at it as if these people are, or if these entities are this advanced, and obviously everything me and Jeff, how can is saying, we stop them? Yeah, well, and again, everything me and Jeff is saying is obviously speculation. But just from all of the yes, tens of twenties of UFO books I've read in the last two years, the idea is, well, hey, idiot, I'm the commander in chief. I just saw World War II. Technology wins wars. I can't stop these people. So at the very least, I should try to minimize the number of people they abduct, and in turn we get some space magic technology that gives us a leg up on the Soviets. And he looked at it as like, there is no scenario in which we're telling them now. We can't stop them. So we might as well, A, try to limit the number of people they take and B, get something in return. And, and, you know, this, like I want to emphasize this as a person, as a social scientist person educated that way, the one first thing I notice that, an anthropologist would notice or a, a somebody who was a student of ancient literature and 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 uh, and legends and stories and the Greek mythology whatever would would realize that this has a, a structure a mythological structure it's like a story right and when you look at what the reptile signifies in the Bible and in ancient Egyptian mythology and in in ancient uh, Babylonian mythology, Tiamat, the, you know, and 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 of course the uh, the Apep in Egyptian mythology that this uh, snake, this reptile, this dragon, sometimes described as, uh, basically it lived in the chaos before creation, and it was jealous of the light, and and of course being jealous of the light, it 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 was you know it, you know. I guess you could say it's representative of evil, right? It's trying to destroy the sun god, and of course Ra was in Egypt and the sun god. And you have the story of the of Garden of Eden in the Bible. You have the snake, the serpent, also described as a dragon in the Book of Revelation, is is the is the one that tempts uh, Adam and Eve and, and get them out of gets them out of the garden. Um. So this is this is um, this has so there are uh, mythological structures, and of course, I think with cons- with modern conspiracy theory, there is a and and this is a lot of people don't know this 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 you you can go back and where did it all begin? It began with this guy Charles Fort. This is the Book of the Damned, right? And so to show you that that Terry reads this, it's so bizarrely this testimony of this um, this woman who you don't you know that this apparition you might say that he is of an alien that he sees is telling him something that we find in this book written in 1919. 
by Charles Fort. And in fact, uh, Johnny Keel described Charles Fort as a humorist. And of course, there are there's a bunch of jokes in this book. And so this is what he writes. He writes, I began with the notion of some one other world from which objects and substances have fallen to this earth, which had or which, to less degree, has a tutelary interest in this earth, which is now attempting to communicate with this earth, modifying because of data which will pile up later. He's he's modifies this view that they're trying to communicate with us because he thinks we don't try to communicate with cattle or sheep, right? We just herd them and exploit them. So then he, he modifies this view. He says, modifying because of data, which will pile up later into acceptance that some other world is not attempting, but has for centuries been in communication with a sect, perhaps, or a secret society, or certain esoteric ones of this earth's inhabitants. So there's your secret cabal, right? The cabal that, and then, you know, he he later talks about this. So you, and you have people like who wrote um, um, the gods of Eden, uh, Bramley's gods of Eden, which is, is basically takes off on this idea that uh, secret societies are controlling the human race for aliens that are exploiting us. They're feeding off of us, right? Uh, they're uh, in Bramley's version. They're sucking our psychic energy. Of course, with, Terry Lovelace, they're literally vampires. They're sucking our blood. They're draining us of our blood. Um, and of course, the idea of a vampire is 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 really something out of the occult. Uh, an extraterrestrial vampire, how much sense does that make? <laughs> right? I mean, it, it is kind of, it's kind of like bad science fiction. You know, like if you it, saw a vampire movie where the vampires were riding around in spaceships, yeah. you'd think, oh, this is too much. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you would go. Wait a minute, this is a little overdone. Does Dracula need a spaceship? Well, Dracula them, of the Seven Stars. Well, you know, to them it might be sport. They might not need it. You know, like I don't have to go hunting. I can just go to the grocery store. But they might. But what like... what kind of sport is it if you've got a ship that goes faster than the speed of light? You zip down and you just you've got... cattle do a cattle mutilation and kill why some farmers. A, why does a billionaire go hunt an elephant? You've done everything. Well, of course, he uses a rifle, and the elephant might stomp him. Yeah, taking some risk to make it sporting, right? Maybe it's illegal where they come from to do it, and so it's like they're coming and doing it anyway. Like we, like, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, look, it's you know, it's stranger than fiction, right? But yeah. you know, people, I just observe the mythological science fictiony but the structure of it is gnostic and i'll explain that in a minute the structure of this belief system is gnostic and what is a gnostic belief system and i'm i'm using um the philosophical thinking of again eric verglund for those who want to read about this and, and further uh verglund says we live in an era where we're all obsessed with whether we know it or not with gnosticism gnosticism is the idea that this world doesn't isn't God's world that we're living in. This world belongs to archons or reptilians or evil entities, the Illuminati, you know, superhuman or humans who have supernatural powers who are really own everything. And that that what we want to do is we want to escape this prison. So that um and and so you you go back to the Cathar 
Albigensian heresy uh, back in the um, early 13th century. They had a, that was a crusade that, uh, the, in fact, the Inquisition was formed because of the Albigensian heresy, actually, um, which was the same idea that the world was a prison made by a demiurgos, a demiurge, right? Uh, and that is a, uh, it's like a superhuman being entity that is not God, that is standing between us and God, and that 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 is so. It, there's a um, there's a uh, rejection of the goodness of the world, almost the goodness like, of life. Almost in, like, in a, it. like a gatekeeper ish, like a gatekeeper god. Well, he's a, he's a bad. He's a he's a he's a, a non good entity that made the world for its own his own selfish purposes, and that he's sort of a monster god. Right. And so there were there were some thinkers uh, like the early Gnostics who kind of believed that the God of the Old Testament was this monster. You know, he wasn't a good he wasn't a good guy. Right. He was he was he was vengeful and he was um, uh, jealous and he was all these other things. So he wasn't the ultimate benevolent God that people believe in Christianity, believe in, in Christianity. So the you, you, and so you have this is the, the argument between Gnostics and Christians, going back that that the, essentially in in the Christian uh, philosophy, which which uh, you know is is very similar to what Plato um, and and Aristotle were pointing out. There's this idea that the world is basically good. That the the God who made it is benevolent, is good, is a good God, and that that whatever bad happens is is made good in the end is transformed for the good is all for the good in the end it's only uh bad it's error sin is a word for error that is that is ultimately corrected ultimately straightened out um through whatever process the process of redemption of man through jesus christ you know uh but but the but the gnostic belief is has a very negative view of worldly existence Worldly existence, the imperfections, the problem of worldly existence, is, you could say it's 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 the fault of the demiurgos, it's the fault of the reptilians, it's the fault. There's an evil power in the universe that really has full control in the world. And if you look at conspiracy theory, and if you look at Marxism, which Eric Verglund made a big point about this, Marxism is a the same belief the evil capitalists who have to be overthrown in a revolution right and of course what is satan in paradise lost he's trying to overthrow god because you know this isn't right you know not right for satan so and that's so conspiracy theory partakes has this structural similarity with marxism with revolutionary ideology with gnosticism and with this idea that the world is bad and the world you have to revolt against the world. You have to revolt against the system, um, uh, and and so th that it's it's very intriguing the way these things fit together. And of course, it is very interesting how um, the people most absorbed by this cult for years, the UFO thinking, are they they think the government is the U.S. government is evil. Right. 
that the government's in a conspiracy to hide us to 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 uh, mask the truth. Now, maybe all that's true, right? Or maybe it's it's um, there's some kind of uh, ideological or magic spell that's put on people that believe this. It's like a new religious a new religion, a new religious context for understanding the world that is disturbingly can align with the most destructive force that we've seen in modern history, which is communism. Hmm. It has a, it has a similar structure because it's go against, you know, it's like there in the real world, nothing is perfect. We've got human beings are all imperfect. Our government's imperfect. We want how Liberty comes about is a system of checks and governments to make sure that no imperfect man has total power over other men, you know, but when you get into Gnosticism, they're so angry at the system that is supposedly taken away the truth or taken away reality or or is somehow an evil force, evil presence dominating the world, that it is only the absolute eradication of the conspiracy, right, of the reptilians, of the Illuminati, of the Satanists um, that will free everybody. But yet, if you look at the history of these people, they have never, ever, they've never produced the guilty Illuminati person with the evidence and saying, you just controlled the world, you and your people just controlled the world for 2,000 years, and now we're putting you on trial for all the terrible wars and depressions and all the things you've caused. Because they literally lay every, all of the ills of yeah. humanity on that, structurally. And yet, um, and yet we have these these stories about these flying saucers, these objects. Hey, Jeff, real quick, can can you take it over? I'm going to use the restroom. Oh, okay. Well, welcome to Jeffcast, sure everybody. Oh no! Do what you do what you want. It's your show. All right. Well, my website is jrnyquist.blog. I've I've written on this topic before. Um, and uh, I, I have um, my my books, and this one I, I recommend The Fool and His Enemy. Uh, and of course, I discuss part of this in the book and the, the idea of prophecies coming out of this. And you can get this on Amazon, The Fool and His Enemy. And uh, you can read it. It's a short read. You can read it in about, oh, uh, probably three hours. It's only about 100 pages, uh, if that. And... Um, it's towards the metaphysics of evil, and of course, I discuss this problem of of evil and and that there is there are things wrong with our world, but um, how do we understand that? How do we take responsibility? And uh, where are we headed? And uh, and I I see uh, I see a lot of interesting things there. Um, so one of the things is is that we don't know. And and people have um, I, I'll go through a number of uh, names here that I'm I'm gonna just uh, mention briefly that um, Tommy will you, you've heard of uh, David uh, Ike he's a guy who um, uh, believes absolutely that there's reptiles and 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 that he he even believes that a lot of the leaders people powerful people on the earth are actually reptiles who are just like wearing human skin. Uh, he said things like this. Uh, you've got uh, John A. Keel, who is a Fortan, who wrote books like um, Our Haunted Planet. 
He also wrote the Mothman prophecies and um, Disneyland of the Gods was another one that he wrote. Um, Why UFOs Operation uh, Trojan Horse. It is a bit of um, is a bit paranoid and a bit Gnostic in his uh, rendering of it. He is very suspicious um, of occult phenomenon being um, demonic. And he uh, he writes in one of his books uh, about UFOs, uh, Operation Trojan Horse, he says, uh, demonology is not just another crackpot-ology. So um, I was just going through, I was just mentioning David Ickes and John A. Keel as uh, two other people on the subject to read um, if people want to look at this, um, trying to figure out what it means. Um, but um, uh, I, you know, and in the notes, and I'm going to send Tommy uh, Please do. Uh, an email of the notes, which I, I will have as the notes of what the alien uh, actually told Terry Lovelace in his uh, second book, where he, he does it in, in total detail. Um, uh, and of course, uh, this um, this whole thing is <laughs> is disturbing because what is myth and what is reality? And uh, one disturbing thing um, I'll mention in terms of trying to put this into context, because um, Jacques Vallée, did you ever see Jacques Vallée's uh, TED Talk on the on the future of physics? No. It's worth seeing. It's worth seeing more than once. He says basically the, the missing element in physics uh, is uh, he doesn't believe that uh, – that it's just space and time. He doesn't understand that, that three-dimensional space and then time. He says, no, 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 that's not right. He says the missing element in physics is information. Hmm. And he likened the universe to a random access memory in a computer. And that the universe is actually made up of information if you actually look at it a certain way. Now, why that's kind of interesting is that um, Eric Berglund goes into this in his last work before his death. He talks about this in a way, it's a way of talking about interdimensionality, and it, it goes back to, to Plato. He says there's three things. He talks about three things. There's consciousness. There's the things, the objects that, that we become aware of through consciousness, the physical objects, the physical world. And then there is language. Now think about the relationship between the three. And think about the fact that in Genesis, God basically creates the world by speaking. He, he basically talks the world into existence. Mm -hmm. And then you have in the book of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and of course, this this goes back to Philo, who was a, a Jewish, uh, uh, you know, this is before Christ, a Jewish Aristotelian, who saw in the works of Aristotle and Plato a uh, it resonated with the Old Testament, or well, of course, the Old Testament wasn't officially formed there, but it, it re resonated with the first five books that became the, the Old Testament that were uh, that that were then, and he. And and so what what does this mean that a word can create the world? 
why does consciousness need words? What is a word? What is language? And what is reality then? Isn't that why Terence McKenna would say like the most important thing in the world is language because it creates? And he was like, it, he's like, that's not an analogy. Like, right. The, like the divine, right. the, the divine logos really is. It really is. You're speaking like right. three dimensional, four dimensional existence. Right. And, you know, there's something to this. Um, when you talk about dreams, symbolic dreams, you talk about, look at how people hypnotize themselves by saying the same things over and over again. Their, their, their obsessions, their words, the way that they use words again and again, uh, it, it, it seems to make their reality. You, have you ever had a thing where you thought, oh, I would really like this or that, and then you, then it happens. You get it. And you think, oh, I never thought I'd get that. But what was it that you did that, you know, you got these people that believe that, that you can manifest things by, by thinking them, <coughs> by saying them. There is a sense in which the words we repeat that 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 makes us or it forms us and and th this is very true when it comes to ideas um you look at people's obsessive ideas you look at an obsessive person you look at a person who's not entirely well you go why are they obsessed with you know this or that why what it's screwing up their whole life why are they just and and you think if they could just interrupt that self-hypnosis of repeating those words they might be okay right everything might be okay for them so then the repetition of um something negative it's thought by some of these people is something that shouldn't be done right we don't want to talk about anything that's evil because that might manifest the evil we want to only say good things about people or you know this is very old my grandmother used to say if you were not going to say something nice, don't, don't say, say anything, anything at, all. at all. Yeah, right. That was one of my grandmother's sayings. Um, so, uh, and and you notice everybody has the experience. I think well, not everybody, but uh, many of us have experience of of a negative person, actually, and what that that aura, that disturbance of that constant negativity coming out of fear, coming out of you know invidious comparisons with other people jealousy, envy, whatever, all these negative feelings they generate and, and all the trouble it makes. These people are like a bubble of trouble. Yeah. You know? It's like every it's like they wherever they go, it's a cloud and, and you get rained on when they come around. Um so when when we're looking at this this mythology or these actual experiences, because I don't want to insult the people that have them because I can't say these people, I don't want to say that these people didn't have the experience, experiences that they're relating. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to say that. That would be wrong because I don't know. I can only look at the structure of what they're saying and say, "Oh my gosh, I've seen that before," and I can see there's a ne there's a negativity in it, maybe an understandable negativity, and maybe, and this is this is almost Freudian. That there's that are the negative thing we experience in the world where the world is 
well, let's face it, does tend to be ruled by bad people, right? Narcissists and psychopaths seem to be more and more in charge that we don't want to admit that to ourselves. So what does it manifest in these supernatural events, these visions, these people interacting with really sinister beings? Aliens, gray, little gray man-eaters, bloodsuckers, you know, little gray vampires from the backside of the moon, from Zeta Reticuli, which is, is very funny. Zeta Reticuli is where they're supposedly from, yeah. but it's so close to Zeta Ridiculous, Reticuli Ridiculi. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like is, it, is it almost like a joke yeah, it's right built it's, into that, it? That's where Bob Lazar said they're from. Yeah, Zeta, well, we, this has been, um, I think it was the Betty Hill map, maybe, that, that that was the, Betty Hill was one of the first most famous abductees. And she had, was shown a star map by one of the aliens that, and then <clears> somebody <throat> tried to look at it and figure out, well, where is that? What is that? Oh, and that's Zeta Reticuli. And I think it's about 11 light years from the Earth, 11 light years from here in the Southern Hemisphere, I think. And it's uh, it's a star that could support Earth-like planets, and they're supposedly they come from there. And you know, there's debates about whether these things are reptilian or insectoid. Um, but um, and and you know, Carl Jung wrote a book, "Flying Saucers: A Modern Myth of Things Seen in the Sky." And what it was is it's a it's a catalog of UFO dreams that his patients had over the years. He just put it together, and he's trying to interpret this dream. What does it mean? And these are this is things that are collected before all this manifested into what it is now. And he came to the, one of the th creepy things in the book that he said was that he said that, well, with the advent of the atomic bomb, he thought that the UFO pilots, the UFO alien was really a Charon, a boatman to Hades. And that the UFOs were boats that crossed the river Styx. They're not going back and forth between the moon. They're going back between here and, and Hades. Oh. And they're carrying the souls of the dead. And so as the threat of nuclear war is there, they they have to be here in greater numbers to carry more souls, right? To carry more souls across. I mean, that's a very creepy thought. No, that's, you, that's like a bunch of fire trucks lining up in lower Manhattan on September 10th or something. Right, right. That's... But of course, in the psychic realm, and of course, Jung was a person who'd had a vision of World War One before it happened, where he saw, you know, just a flood of blood coming into the land, you know. Um, and of course, uh, people do have visions of things. They do see things in the future. I, I had a precognitive dream. I know other people who my grandmother saw her sister Clara's death in child in childbirth. She she died having her baby um, in 1938-39. Um, and and you know my grandfather said, "Oh, it's just a dream. Go back to bed." But in the morning, they got the Western Union telegram came that her sister had died. You know, so maybe that wasn't foreknowledge. Maybe that was clairvoyance. But families have these events. They're, they're real and 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 people see angels and they see God and they they have visions of things and they and and why they happen how it is that they happen you know Abraham Lincoln famously have I think I've told you this 
had the week before his other river queen. He's, you know, it's at the end of the Civil War. He's waiting for word from General Grant and he falls asleep on a sofa there and he has, he dreams, he's at the White House and he's hearing this noise out in the East Wing and he goes down and there's a coffin there with two soldiers and he goes up to one of the soldiers and there's all these mourners there and he says, who has died in the White House? And the soldier says, the president, he's been killed by an assassin. And then this crowd, this wail comes out of the crowd and then Lincoln wakes up very disturbed. I mean, he's just dreamed. This is, I don't know how many days before his yeah. assassination, right? And he told a group of people at the White House, including his wife, Mary, who was very upset by this. And he had to, oh, it's just a dream, Mary, don't worry. This is documented history, right? So you find it in Lincoln biographies. I read it in a Lincoln biography. Um, this is not just, and but but it gets stranger than that. And I think I've mentioned this before. And I, I, I go over this in my book, um, The Fool and His Enemy, where I talk about the, the dilemma we're in now. And, and Lincoln was a, a man of destiny. Um, you know, the coincidences in, this is also very creepy. So you can't explain this by some reference to some nut and bolt flying saucer flying around. It is something more than this. You you have uh, Lincoln and Kennedy, both elected to Congress in what, 46. Both of them become president in 60. Both of them are shot in the head from behind on a Friday while, while seated next to their wives. Shot by Southerners, by the way. John Wilkes Booth and Lee Harvey Oswald were both Southerners. Mm -hmm. uh, Oswald shot Kennedy from a warehouse yeah, was, and escaped and was apprehended in a theater. Yeah. John Wilkes Booth shot Lincoln in a theater, theater escaped warehouse. and was apprehended in a warehouse. Who's a Lincoln jo VP? Johnson. They both Johnson. had, <laughs> but they both had successors named Johnson who were born in 08. Oh God. No, no, it, it's no, it's impossible, right? It's impossible. So, so then both of the assassins, Lee Harvey Oswald, Oswald and John Wilkes Booth, were both shot dead before they could stand trial by one round from a Colt revolver. I mean, you can't make this up. Both of them were taken, did not die immediately on the scene, but were taken to a place that starts with the letter P. They were both treated by a doctor named Charles, whose first name was Charles. Um, you know, and it goes on, you know, I'm not even remembering all those things, but it, it's the, the, this is called synchronicity, which yeah. Jung wrote a book on and it was big. Jung was really inspired by Schopenhauer who had wrote, wrote an essay on this a very, one of the most Schopenhauer was like maybe the most brilliant philosopher. I mean, what his IQ was, it, it had to be insane. And it, it's 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 kind of creepy, but it's unlike Schopenhauer because he's generally considered a pessimist. But he but he basically said these meaningful coincidences mean that that the universe, that God or whatever the 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 spirit into which uh, Schopenhauer had this sort of idea of the oneness of consciousness of all the beings in the universe, right? It was almost Buddhistic, and he said that this. That the concern, the real concern in the universe wasn't for nations or or countries or these large things we think about. It's for the, the fate of the individual is precious to the universe itself. We're all important. We're all important. Because these these um 
these coincidences happen in everybody's life. It's just most people don't notice them. We're not even paying attention to our own life enough to notice. So this, so the nature, and one of the questions, it's, it, go, it goes again to Valley's, um, the missing element in physics being information. Uh, meaningful coincidence is a special kind of information. Now, going back to Eric Verglund's notion that there's these three things, there's consciousness, there's the physical reality we're conscious of, and then there's language. Um, but what is behind language is something called meaning. And this is what co meaningful coincidence, synchronicity is meaningful coincidences, like the Kennedy, um, the, the Kennedy, uh, Lincoln, Lincoln coincidence, coincidences. That's a synchronicity. It is so, it has such a deep meaning. It's taking the, the, the meaning of those two guys' lives are connected in meaning in some deeper, so such a profound, deeper way. So for this to be possible, for this kind of level of coincidence to be possible, what is the real nature of the universe in which we live? It is not, a, it is not possible that it's only a strictly cause and effect universe, where every cause is an effect and every effect have a cause, because you couldn't have such events occurring. Our art... Our universe, our language, is connected to meaning, and it's structured somehow to accommodate those meanings. And they, this is why we're alive, to experience these meanings, to live in those meanings, it seems to me. And, and so, and, the, and the, the universe is a creation so curious that it, God spoke the universe into existence with a word, let there be light, bam, then there's light. He spoke it, and there it was. And and we're not God, so when we speak, it has an effect, but it's not the same, right? Because we're the creature, not the creator. And then figuring all this out, and figuring out all this 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 UFO stuff is, is of course, it's, it shows how, what a tremendous mystery is the uh, the our existence it is it is um and and this is the thing that we have to respect the problem that i have with a lot of people today is that they want to say that they definitely know what it means and they know they know how to interpret it or they understand it and the thing is is to understand you know uh a a simple political or military thing is extremely hard yeah there's so much you have to know and there's so much context you have to know but to know this this these cosmic things about the nature of the universe itself and the nature of our lives spiritually physically um and and all these meanings this this is not this is this cannot be easy and and this is why when people go back and they they'll try to read plato or they'll try to read aristotle's metaphysics for example it's like oh man that is among the most difficult literature that was ever written and maybe some of the most profound that has ever been written uh, because I don't know that anybody surpassed them and uh, because what they figured out was that the the world was this spiritual we we're in a sense this physical world we're in a sense becoming more spiritual through our 
living in this world. I mean, we're all going to die, and then our souls, then we change into what? Like the um, the worm becoming a butterfly, right? So there's some kind of, and this is what you, you, you go to the teachings of Christianity and you go to uh, all of those stories in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and you see this is when they when they talk about uh, esoteric Christianity, for example, esoteric means inward, right? So there's a deeper meaning to all of these parables in the Bible and these stories. There's a deeper meaning there that is that is like spiritual guidance for us. And um, but we are so such knuckleheads, we don't understand that, we don't get it, and so we have these. Uh, very shallow political narratives that are just running rampant now, right? That um, that are just being used to, I think, are being used to manipulate us by different, for you know, obvious human forces on the earth, but also possibly our own dark side is drawn to them. So, uh, obviously. That's and of course, why going back to the headline here, why is the Pentagon talking about a mothership? You have any ideas why they're talking about a mothership? After an hour and twenty of us talking, I, I I don't know. I don't have any better I mean, I don't know if you saw that meme, but it's like twenty twenty three. It's the year where normies think that there are there's gonna be an alien invasion and conspiracy theorists say no there's not. It's Project Bluebeam. Never before has the conspiracy theorist said these aren't aliens. This is the government, and the normies are saying it's aliens. I think that's probably what it is. I think that they are. I think you and I have talked about this before. I think they did COVID. They were forced to do COVID long before they wanted to. They were forced to do these central bank digital currencies long before they wanted to. Um, something has accelerated their plan, and they they very much so didn't want to do any of this till twenty thirty but it seems like they're just pulling out all the stops. Like there's five minutes left in the movie and they have to get out all the special effects budget. And it's like, it seems sloppy. Well, here's a weird thing. Um, in Terry Reed's alien told him that the various governments, this is so bizarre are preparing to evacuate the earth and, and, because everything here is going to be destroyed and everybody left behind is going to die. Yeah. And so they are secretly like all the Pentagon money that's missing and everything. They're they're building super ships and Marks, they're building things yeah. to carry humanity to Mars. And of course, that see, this is where this is um this just strikes me as mythological because um you can't live on Mars. There's no air. <laughs> yeah. And if we're running from aliens and they came multiple light years to get here, they're just not going to follow you to Mars. Well, and, and the thing is that they're, they're building, they're going to escape because the earth is going to be destroyed. And uh, here I, and I've got the, the notes here. What, what Betty says in the, uh, she says, she goes, um, Betty said, human beings have lived on your moon for many generations. Now your government has two space programs, one for the people and another that is secret. Just like your nation, countries have governments with superficial control, but there is only one global council. See the conspiracy theory? You see how it's right? 
that truly represent and controls your planet. Many people begin work for covert government as young people and will serve in that capacity for their entire lives. And then, um, uh, re, you know, Terry says, why do people live on the moon? And she says, well, they're there to collect rocks. And then he doesn't understand that. And then she says, because helium-3 is a gas that's trapped in the rocks. Well, helium-3, mm-hmm. she doesn't explain it, but he goes and looks it up, and it's a it's a um, fusion fuel. Very, very energy-rich, yeah. Which implies that somebody on the Earth has, has a fusion, fusion power, right? So they need fusion fuel, so they get it from the moon. It, it's all very, but it's it's all very plausible on the surface. But it, it's now now and then. Here's what what here's where the elements of the conspiracy theory, you know, come together to this again. Conspiracy theories often lead to you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, as uh, Gnostic uh, theories, they often lead to uh, prophecies, uh, apocalyptic kind of prophecies. So here's the apocalyptic prophecies that she gives him. She she says uh, there's there is no consolidated global leadership among the collection of governments with regional and territorial interests at odds with one another. Your world is a single global entity, however, and it has a single ruling council. This is again the the secret cabal, right? And and so so Betty says that human beings are too primitive and too territorial to form a, a cohesive global government, uh, and, which is what they need to survive. Where have we heard that before? That's that's all the socialists all believe that the communists believe that. Um, and then she said the hybridization program between aliens and humans is intended to preserve a piece of humanity. Now you, know, you could look at this mythologically and say, what does it mean to mix a reptile, a reptilian with a human, to preserve a piece of the human? It's it's very frightening, isn't it? There's something disturbing and frightening about it, and and so Terry said, "Preserve us from what? What are we? What is this? It's almost, this it's almost piece of like human? When the mafia shows up and says, "For your protection, we're gonna you need to give us a hundred bucks a day," and you're going protecting from who? And they're like, "For your protection," and it's like, "Hey, buddy, like this ain't right." Yeah, if you can protect yourself from them, then you could say no, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, we're just we're here to preserve some of you. You're like, who do I need preserving from? Yeah. Well, and so they, and this is what the alien answers. And of course, here we get into the apocalyptic uh, again. Betty says, what, Betty is the alien, the name he gives to the alien. What does a colony of ants do when it reaches the point beyond self-sufficiency? And so then Betty says, the governments are preparing to evacuate the earth for a new home. And he immediately knows somehow it's Mars. And he says Mars. And she goes, yeah, bing, ding, ding. You, you guess right, it's Mars. Uh, everyone left behind the earth will die and not survive. They'll be like passengers on the Titanic, right? Um, so Betty, and then Betty says, nuclear detonations tear the fabric of space-time and result in interdimensional bleeds. Now, now there is, is a kind of absurdity, right? That's that, that that's just sort of palpably absurd. Um, so, but but yet. How do we know? Well, yeah, there's that's one of a I forget who one of the UFO movies. Yeah, there's some old. Oh, that's always you know Whitley Strebo and Carla Turner when they were first abducted, they were shown visions of a future nuclear war. Well, not so much the nuclear wars. There's like this, and I can't name them, but it's like again woven into the lore is that like we see the amount of damage nukes do in our own space. 
Like, how do we not know they're not doing something else somewhere else? Well, granted, it's a very well. The 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 burden of proof is on you know the person saying it, but well, there's there's I get the idea. There's hundreds of nuclear power plants right now splitting atoms every day. I guess all they're talking the like full, you know, a bomb, h bomb, yeah, all at once. That moment of impulse where it's all maybe that is doing something in a different. I I think if we think of it like Jung would think of it, like um like uh, we we try to understand it uh, symbolically as this is maybe we should not take the um because what what Carla Turner found when she went into the uh, she went into the studying the abductees as she was one um was that there is this level in which what is happening to them is like a dream in that it is a conveying a symbolic message so uh dimensional bleed what's a dimensional bleed when the dimension of spirit of mind bleeds into ours so what is it is a is a ufo abduction but the bleeding off of spiritual entities masquerading as flying saucer man into our that's one inter, that's johnny keel's interpretation that the men in black and that the ufo alien is not physically real they're a transmogrification that is they're a spiritual entity from the spiritual dimension that have popped into our dimension and in, and for that brief moment before they dissolve back into the other they're there you know manifesting their spooky stuff uh, giving us the willies um because because basically what 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 does this spook show that that uh, uh and I, uh, that that Terry Lovelace goes through in in the in the incident at Devil's Den it is a it is a horror show it's a spook show he is traumatized by this and he's you know when you read the book you realize this guy is very sincere and yet these it's almost like a new form of religion that's forming from people's from these visionary experiences these encounters look this alien that he talks to basically materializes into his living room it's not like she knocks on the door ding dong and the flying saucer's out in the driveway she just at night he comes back from the movies with his wife his wife goes to bed he goes to lock up the house and the next thing you know he he wakes up in his armchair in the living room and there's this feeling of ionization in the atmosphere. And then he notices this woman is sitting across from him and she's wearing these glasses and she's wearing a scarf because her neck is like this big around, right? Because she's an alien. She's not, she's not a human being. And so he, and then he has this telepathic communication. I mean, is that experience a dream? Is he, is she really sitting in his living room or is he having you know, they put a camera on a UFO abductee and to see what would happen. And when they had the abduction experience, this is what the camera showed. Now, I don't know if this was fabricated. I don't know the provenance of it, but I was on YouTube for a while. She gets up at the end. It's like she's sleepwalking. Only she gets up and she goes to the end of the bed and she sits. And this, there's like this glow around her she is surrounded by like a light and she sits there for about 20 minutes in this light and then she goes back to sleep 
And that was her abduction experience as viewed from somebody with a camera on the outside. Hmm. Uh, Parker and Hicks, two guys that got uh, ran into an alien. They had a kind of a experience in 1973. There were cameras focused. Uh, they had, I guess they were security cameras from along the way that caught the incident, but it didn't show anything. It showed them sort of sitting there in the place where they had the experience. Not moving. It's all you got to almost wonder if it's something like, like if you were to watch someone being sucked into a black hole at a certain point, you just see them stay still, right? Because the very light itself is now being trapped. You know, they always show that in like, in like, like, you know, like a Neil deGrasse Tyson show or something. Like if you were observing them and you weren't being affected by the black hole, you would see them kind of go up against it and then just freeze. So you would almost like a cartoon. You just kind of see my outline. Because right. the very light showing me being pulled away is itself being pulled away. So there's this moment of equilibrium where the last thing you see, you would just see me in this white shirt. You would just see the back. Of, or if I'm facing you, you would just maybe see me like this. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's something like that. The distortion is so strong that you just see this weird, the lasting imprints of them in this reality where while they go on and do x y and z yeah just the thought well and then there's the question is you know people talk about mass hysteria there's the question of why do people see these same entities Mm -hmm. all over the world that have the experiences um why are they all describing them and seeing them there was an interesting um uh people have talked to uh native american uh shamans about this and one of the things that they've discovered is that the Native American shamans have words for all this. And they know about these little gray vampires or whatever they are, little gray, gray people from Zeta Ridiculi. They know about them. They have a whole, they seem to have an adva- a more advanced understanding of them. Uh, you know, why is that? Uh, uh, what is it in their history? And of course, one of the things that you find in some of the the uh, smaller groups of tribes and people on the earth that have preserved oral traditions going way back is you have this this notion that there was a civilization um, that that was advanced, not extraterrestrial, but a human civilization that was destroyed, and that references to the gods. And there's an interesting book by a uh, that was written more than a uh, hundred years ago by a uh, a scholar, an American scholar, I think he's American, maybe he's British, that argued that the gods that the uh, pagans believed in were actually um, human kings from before the flood. And there there is a book called, um, uh, it's called uh, When the Sky Fell by a writer named Am Fifth, I think he's a Canadian. And... um, he and his wife did this research, and they discovered they, it goes back to um, something uh, Einstein was obsessed with towards the end of his life: Earth pl- dis- crust displacement yeah. theory. You've probably heard of that. Yeah, it's in the beginning of uh, Graham Hancock's book, was I think Fingerprints of the Gods. Yeah, he mentions it too, and of course he does men- mention the work of uh, the uh, when the sky fell, and he they collected Hap- a lot Hapkin. of. Uh, Hap good, yeah. Charles Hap good. Einstein, right? And Einstein wrote the introduction to Hap good's book. Then, and Hap good was a professor who had this 
the Earth's crust must have displaced because the poles, yeah, the poles were not where they are now. Maybe we don't have ice ages. Maybe the poles just move around. Yeah, and every several thousand years, there's a pole shift. Where right, and this is mainstream science laughs at this, but there's when you when you go to the ancient Egypt, the fragments we have from Plato of what the ancient Egyptians told Solon was, they referred to these these two cataclysms, one by fire, one by water. One that seems to be a, describing a micronova event, right? Or some kind of super electromagnetic pulse event uh, where there's super electromagnetic storms. And the other one is, is the flood, of course, where the water's displaced onto the land. And we, we really don't, humanity's memory is so weak, we really don't know. The ancient Egyptian records were mostly lost. They wrote these things down on papyrus, claiming that they had thousands, I think, uh, 13, 11, 12, 13,000 years of, of written history, uh, written in, in um, not demotic, but the, the, they, they wrote, the hieroglyphics were for their buildings, but they, they wrote in a, it almost looks like handwriting uh, that they, they wrote in their manuscripts. And they, they had all these manuscripts uh, about these things that were lost. And you find in a little bit of the surviving ancient literature references to the the civilizations, multiple civilizations existing before the flood. And of course, you have the flood story in the Bible. So um, all of that, I'm going to have to go in a couple of minutes. <laughs> no, I was going to say all of that is, yeah, all of that is also part of the mystery of of things that we don't understand. Um, but I, one of the things I learned from reading that was that you know that Halloween which is celebrated all over the world, that date is celebrated, is actually, if you look into the ancient myths and legend, it is the celebration of when all the when the flood killed all those people. It is the when the flood happened, the great flood, the, the great deluge. It was, you know, October Good 31st Lord. to November 2nd when Good all those people died. Good Lord. And that's what Halloween actually is. Oh, no. Uh, according to this, yeah, it was a, oh, the book was was so interesting. Um, saying that really, um, you know, uh, you get, get going into the story of the Tower of Babel is is the Tower of Babel is a profound story. Man trying to reach, build a tower so high he reaches, you know, heaven. And then yeah. God saying, nope, you're not going there. It's very, uh, um, who's the guy that flew too close to the sun? Uh, oh, yeah, I Icarus. Icarus, yeah. Icarus. Icarus, Icarus. Yeah, yeah. Kind, of, kind of yeah, akin to that. Um, but yeah, Jeff, let's wrap this one up for now. I got another show I got to start in a second. Thank you very okay. much for uh, All right. walking me back into the podcasting realm. That was that was a good first episode to get back into. I genuinely appreciate it. I always, okay. lo I always love talking to you, man. You're a badass All guy. Right. I'll, send, <laughs> okay. I'll, send you, I'll send you this episode and we'll schedule the next one. All right. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, sir. Okay. Guys, go check Bye -bye. out Mr. Nyquist. Go follow him. Go to his website. Go get his books. Thank you for watching. Until next Recording time. Recording stopped. God bless. Thank you.